Thank you for listening to this week's message from Go Church. We hope it encourages you today. For more information about Go Church, check us out online at letsgo.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right. Well, good to be here with you today. I am just going to open us up with a word of prayer. God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for these beautiful people that are here. I just pray that you use my words, God, and do what you do. What you do. If it's to convict, do that. If it's to challenge, do that. If it's just to show love and grace, do that. God, in all things in your name, do we pray. Amen. So I'm excited to be here with you today. And I'm excited to dive into actually part of your mission, the live local, go global, and live like Jesus. I'm going to kind of address how you can live locally, maybe a little better, and how you can live like Jesus a little better. And I'm going to do that by talking about how to address the mess of the other. But before we go into that, I want to talk about my own journey. So my husband and I moved our four children from Park Hill to Central Park last year. And my husband is probably wondering why I used that photo. (laughs) That's okay. Um, They're taking up this entire row back here. I even have my mother and my sister here joining me. But we moved from Park Hill to Central Park. And prior to our move, we had many discussions because we knew that it was going to be very difficult because of the relationships that we built, not just in Park Hill specifically, but within our block. And we grew these deep connections and relationships with the adults and also the children. And there were many people represented on our block. You had the single mom, you had the fatherless, you had the motherless, you had the refugee, you had the immigrant, you had the people who didn't want to be bothered at all, so they just went immediately inside. You had the mentally ill. And somehow, the children of all of these houses would gather at our home, in our front yard or in our backyard with the trampoline. And I think it's because Greg and I, Greg is my husband, is we were very intentional because when we were doing premarital counseling, we were tasked with this exercise. They said, draw a picture of what you want your home to become. And so Greg and I grew a picture of a lighthouse praying that God would use that place and he would draw people near and that people would always feel safe. And that's exactly what it did. So here's just a short video of what it looked like almost every day in the summer. Just another day at the hall residence. Had a visit from Uncle Buff. Waving. And when I talk to my old neighbors, they tell me how life has left the block since our departure. And though I was so honored to be able to bring that life to that block, I don't know if the life has come with me to Central Park because Central Park is a foreign place, and I don't necessarily know how to engage. And I know that the values are a little different here, and I know that the rules are a little different 
here, like case in point, I don't think my little daughter, Anora, is going to be running around in her panties. <laughs> they may say, where did you come from? <laughs> but even though I kind of struggle finding my place, I will say that I have enjoyed some of the many comforts that this new neighborhood brings and this new home brings. Because when we were living in Park Hill, we had four bedrooms, and the boys shared a room and the girls shared a room. And we didn't have egress windows, and they were in the basement. So that was the point of contention in our marriage, because I wanted egress windows for safety, and Greg was just kind of on the fence. <laughs> they now have their own rooms. The boys do, at least. The girls still have to share. I have a microwave. Okay, I know that may sound crazy, but we went years without a microwave, and now I have one. At first, my kids didn't even know really what it was, and they were like, gosh, it cooks things so fast. And I'm like, really? You guys weren't that depraved. <laughs> I no longer have to just use my garage for storage, and I no longer have 20 kids bombarding me as soon as I get home saying, where are your kids? Where are your kids? And if I'm being completely honest, I've kind of settled into some comfort when it comes to my spiritual walk as well. I found that I need to be even more intentional with God. And I found that the more privilege I obtain, the less needy I am of God. There was a point where I worked in nonprofit and my prayer list was on the desk. And I would continually be in prayer about the people that I interacted with, the people who shared their stories that I would petition to God on behalf for. And sometimes I sit back and wonder, well, was it all worth it? Was the comfort that I'm experiencing now worth so much that I've lost along the way? So that's what I want to address. I want to address how we can address the mess of the other by getting uncomfortable. And we all have a different picture of who the other is, what they represent. But historically, the other has been the people on the margins. They are the people that we have deemed as different from us, and we have placed a distance between us and them. They are the ones that are forgotten about. They are the outcasts and the downcasts, and the ones in the most vulnerable positions the Bible says they're the poor, the fatherless, the widow, and the refugee. They're the oppressed, the oppressed amongst our society. And I think sometimes we don't recognize them. So I want to just say that they are actually very much up close. Because I see the other when I'm driving down Central Park Boulevard and they're walking their Walmart home. And my children ask me, well, why don't you stop and help? And I always have a reason why. You see, the other is when I drive down Havana and I see the woman's prison. And I tell my children, that's why the fencing looks like that. It's a, it's a prison. The other is in the failing schools. That's just right across I-70. The other is also within the schools that our children attend but oftentimes they just go overlooked. And even though we have created this distance, because typically it's the ones in privilege who create the distance between us and them, even though we have created this distance, the call still remains. And this call 
is from God, the one that we serve and the one that we follow. And the call doesn't change just because we aren't doing it, nor does the call just go away because we haven't answered it. You see, our call as Christians and as followers of Christ is to pursue justice and to engage with the mess of the other. And there are actually many scriptures that point to this. And I have listed four. Two are from Isaiah and two are from Psalms. The first one is Psalms 82.3. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the, the wicked. The psalmist is pleading to God on behalf of the destitute because that's God's heart. That's his desire. Then in Isaiah 117, it says, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. This is Isaiah actually talking to the Israelites. You guys learn to do good and to correct oppression, not just stand idle by, but to be active and engage. And then there's another Psalm 103.6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. You see, God has a heart for every single person out there who is on the margins, who is oppressed. And then lastly, Isaiah 58, 6 through 8. This is the one that really convicts me. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them? and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. When I see those people, I don't stop and offer my clothing. I don't offer my home. I don't offer them a cup of noodle soup. And we aren't just called to carry these words in our hearts and to put them on cute little placards in our foyer, but we are actually called to action and to engage. And this call to love, really, that's what it is, has been a call for a millennia. And we, by and large, have not done so, and I just wonder why. Why is this? Why would we continue to fail at this over and over? And it must be because we love something more. And that's what I've come to believe, that we love our comfort more than we love the other. And we love our bubbles more than we love our, our brother. And the church used to have this influence over culture. But lately, the American culture has definitely <laughs> been teaching the church where we should have our values. And America has led the culture revolution. And I found this on NBC. A, uh, a writer for NBC wrote this. People haven't always wanted to be quite so comfortable. The desire for comfort in a modern sense is a fairly recent cultural decision born out of the explosion of things for the home. Hello, microwave. By the middle of the 20th century, comfort, whether through clothing or products for the home, 
had become deeply entwined with consumerism, American patriotism, citizenship, and self-identity. I guess one might say that to be comfortable is to be American. And we see this within American culture. We see over the past hundred years, the average home size has increased. In the 1950s, the average home size used to be 988 square feet. I don't know about you, but having six people in a house that small is not comfortable. <laughs> and then to the 2000s, the average home size is about 2,200 square feet. We see the American comfort with our appliances, the microwave, the espresso machine, the coffee maker, the French press, the pour over, and sometimes we have them all in our own kitchen. <laughs> I'm kind of guilty of that. <laughs> we now have central air. I don't want to give that up. We have heating. Who wants to lose that? Toilet paper? No thanks. All of these things make our life more convenient and sometimes happier, right? Comfort feels good but it's also a byproduct of our selfish desires. And it's also sunk its teeth into every part of our lives, including the church. And this is where I really see how the church has gotten really comfortable. We like to worship in segregation. We have the black church, we have the white church, we have the Korean church, we have the hipster church. We look to churches to tick all of our boxes before becoming a member. Well, it has to have a good worship. It has to have lively preaching. And come on, I did this. I did this too when looking for a church. We seek preachers to pander to our political values rather than holding us to a Christ-like view. We rely on the preacher to feed us spiritually, becoming baby chicks with our mouths open, wide open, just waiting for the preacher to chew it up and spit it into our mouths without digging into the word for ourselves. We find it easier to talk about communities who are experiencing oppression and injustice without taking any action. And this is not new. If you look back in the times of segregation and slavery, there were Christians on both sides. One was more comfortable, and the other was not. We find it easier to just take a trip to Mexico to gain some perspective, while maintaining a laundry list of reasons, well, why can't they just come here legally? These are the things I've heard, I've seen. And Comfort does feel good, but it comes with a cost. And I don't think the church has sat back and looked at the cost associated with our comfort. So I want you to ask yourself this. In what way is comfort getting in the way of your spiritual growth? How has it stunted you spiritually? And this is between you and God. And my introverts, you can write it down and think about it three days later. That's okay. That's how I process things. But I think that there are two great costs associated with comfort. One is we're unable to actually be in alignment with what Jesus preached, teached, and lived out. 
And then another way is that we're unable to live out biblical love, that agape love that we all love to be the receivers of. Because you can't be comfortable if you want to give out the agape love. C.S. Lewis once said this, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Now this was a long time ago. I wonder what he would have to say now. And the Gospel Coalition says this, it's because the Christian faith is inherently uncomfortable. To be a disciple of Jesus is to deny oneself, to take up a cross, to be subject to persecution, to give up the creature comforts of home, to forsake the priority of family, to be willing to give up all material possessions and to be crucified with Christ. And this is just the beginning. Raise your hand if you signed up for that. <laughs> I signed up for grace because <laughs> that feels good. This is hard. That's hard stuff. Giving up family? I can't do that. So if comfort prevents us from spiritual growth, then the alternative, the alternative would be to become a people of Christ who purposefully pursue discomfort. I think that's where the answer is. And this is my one big thing. I love this. I love that Go Church has the one big thing. My one big thing for today is purposeful pursuit of discomfort will lead to spiritual growth. And here's why. Because Jesus said, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, and those who are persecuted, because there is something far greater at the end of our discomfort than our comfort. There is life there. There is a far richer faith that you can ever experience. And it happens through trials and hard times. And all throughout scripture, we actually see this take place. We see this tremendous growth happening in times of discomfort. When Moses was called to go set the people free, I'm sure he was kind of comfortable. I mean, he had married, he had kids, and then all of a sudden God is like, go set my people free. And he's like, but, 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 I can't talk. And God is like, we're going to fix that for you. <laughs> we'll work that out. Naomi after she lost everything, her sons, her husband, then had to return back to her land with a Moabitess. That was the enemy of Israel. I'm sure that that was uncomfortable. But there was life that was brought forth from that situation. The Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, tremendous growth. Elijah in the wilderness, Tremendous growth. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness fasting, tremendous growth. Lots of wilderness stories <laughs> in the Bible. And this list goes on, but it's within these uncomfortable times that we learn something valuable, and we learn something new about our faith, and we see different characteristics of God. And if you look back in your life, 
Maybe you can see the same because I know when I look back in mine, it was through my hardest times that I grew in maturity and spiritually. Going through a divorce and then having to be a single mom, God showed me that in those moments, he was not just my father, but he was my provider. And no matter what, baby girl, I got you. When I was working in inner city schools and inner city nonprofits and praying for a pay raise, (laughs) God was like, baby girl, I got you. Because there's something that you have to learn here. And sometimes what you have to learn is it's not just about you. It wasn't just about me. Because going through these uncomfortable times, my perspective shifted. And I want to introduce you to somebody who actually lived this principle out. Because sometimes it's helpful to see, well, what does this actually look like? What is she really trying to tell us to do? And I'm not trying to tell you to be like this person. Although, if God has that on your heart, go ahead. (laughs) But his name is St. Francis of Assisi. So I was first introduced to St. Francis when I studied abroad in Italy. And if you were anything like me, I grew up in a denomination where I did not learn anything about the Catholics. Okay, (laughs) so learning about him was so interesting and fascinating. And when you come up to this great basilica, you will see the letters P-A-X, landscaped. And that stands for peace, because Francis was known for peace. But his story is very interesting. So St. Francis grew up with money. And actually, when he was first born, his mother named him Giovanni, after St. John, or as we like to call him, John. But then his father returned home from a business trip and said, absolutely not. I do not want him to be a man of the church. I want him to be named Francesco. So that's how we get Francis. And he was raised with wealth. And he lived up in the village, up high amongst the others. And he was actually known to be pretty wild and had a long list of vices that he would get into. And then, near adolescence, he was trying to discover himself. And he was like, I know, maybe I'll be a man of war. So during that time, the Crusades were happening. And then in Assisi, they decided to go with war with a neighboring town. So he's like, yes, I'm going to go to war, because maybe I'm a man of war. Well, then he became a prisoner of war, and he's like, eh, maybe that's not for me. (laughs) So then he was released, and he's still on this self-discovery journey. That's when he starts dibbing and dabbling with the church. He starts reading up on this great man named Jesus, and he starts to change his perspective on some certain things, specifically surrounding lepers. You see, lepers during those days... They're pretty much the same as you would read in the Bible. The lepers were the outcasts. People did not want anything to do with them. They didn't want to touch them. They didn't want to go near them. They feared them. They were dirty, unclean. The list goes on and on of these adjectives. Well, one day, Francis is riding on his horse, and he notices a leper, and he stops his horse, and he gets off of his horse and goes and gives the leper a kiss. 
and puts money into his hand. And then he gets back on his horse and he turns around. And when he turns around, the leper wasn't there. And so Francis says, that was Jesus who I just kissed. And from that moment on, his life was forever changed. He gave up all of his possessions, all of them. And he lived amongst the poor, amongst the lepers. And guess what? His life didn't get easier. It actually got harder. He died young. He died around 45. He died a miserable, painful death. But he went to where the pain was. And people thought this was so radical, they started following him. I mean, we still have Francescan monks today. Actually, one of them is Richard Rohr. And he had this to say about Francis. He said, he told us to forever change classes, to identify not with the upper class, not with the climb towards success, power, and money, but to go where he felt Jesus went, to wherever the pain was, wherever the excluded ones were, to find our place not in climbing, but in descending. And Francis went where the pain was, but he modeled. He didn't just one day get this epiphany to go and do that. He modeled after Jesus, because Jesus did it first. And I use St. Francis as an example because he was just a man. He wasn't a superhero. He wasn't even a saint. I don't even know if he would probably agree with sainthood, knowing his values, but they made him a saint. But he looked at the life of Jesus, and he took the words that Jesus spoke, and he applied them to his actions. He read the same scriptures that we read. He was exposed to the same Jesus that we were exposed to. It just hit him a little bit different. I love this quote. It says, whatever you intend to do, find someone who already does it with excellence. Document all they do, say, think when doing it, and then model them. Let us be like Francis and model what Jesus did. Let us seek, embrace, and love just like Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't too concerned about comfort. And he wasn't too concerned about the comfort of others. He became displaced. And he went to where the pain was. He was proximal with the hurting. And he met the needs of the people. And he had so much compassion on them. He welcomed the other, and he embraced the unembraceable. And Jesus didn't come to earth to experience comfort, but to become a refugee, one who was despised and then crucified. And he says, do this too. And the truth is, we don't have to do this alone because I know it feels like that's heavy but we don't have to embrace this discomfort alone. He is always with us. Embracing discomfort is taking a step towards a deeper relationship with Jesus. 
And ultimately, this is what I've really come to understand, that we all were once the other. And if God not had embraced us, where would we be? I know in my life, I don't know where I would be. I'd probably be a hot mess. (laughs) I know that. I know myself too well. (laughs) So we can embrace the other because Jesus embraced us. He embraced our otherness. And so my charge to you today is to go do something uncomfortable. Find your metaphorical leper. Get off your horse and embrace them. Kiss them. And be like Jesus. And know that you are not alone in doing it. Because God is with you always. Even until the end of the age. I just want to close this out in a prayer. God, you are a good God. You are a good Father who has embraced us. God, you have embraced our mess, our vices, our pride. And so, God, I'm just asking that you help us, that you help us become intentional about the love that we pour out to other people, that you put it on the forefront of our mind, God, that we are able to live more like Jesus, that we are able to go to the darkest places, God, knowing that you will be with us and to give love to the people that need it most. God, we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Go Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at letsgo.church. You can also download our app from the App Store by searching Go Church. Have a great week and God bless.